Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is building your own bot. My expert today is Ryan Todd. He's EVP of Capital Markets at Integrity Home Mortgage. Prior to that, Ryan was with Lake Michigan Credit Union. Ryan also is the owner and president of Catmark Advisors. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Pat, and uh, thank you for having me on today. Well, I'm excited. This is a real hot topic. And uh, before we jump into it, I want to talk about how did you get into our business of mortgage banking? Like most of us in the business, it certainly wasn't my childhood dream to become a mortgage banker. I started off in the industry working nights as a closer while working towards an engineering and mathematics degree. But sometimes life has other plans. And I found myself needing a stable day job to support my young family. So from there, I started working my way up through processing and underwriting roles. And while I didn't see myself staying in mortgage at the time, I love that this industry was continually changing and could provide significant room for career growth. I remained in operations and credit risk related roles until 2006 when I was exceptionally fortunate to get the opportunity to shadow Ina Baru in capital markets while I was working in credit risk and, and product development. I ended up loving capital markets so much that I found myself working you know, like 80, 90 hours a week to shadow Ina during the day while performing my other job duties uh, often late into the night. When she left the company for a different position, I got my first opportunity in capital markets. From there, I went to work for MIAC for five years and was really fortunate to learn from some of the best and brightest in modeling and hedging. But ultimately, I really wanted to be back in a role that touched on more than just capital markets. So from there, I went to a bank that allowed me to function in more of a hybrid capital markets and operational role. So despite having a capital markets title, the role I've played at most companies has, has extended beyond the capital markets and into operational workflow and process of improvement, which that accounts for most of the past 11 years in the business. Well, that's a sensational background for sure. You've done everything in mortgage banking, so that is really great to hear. And it just shows the progression that you can have in your own career once you're in financial services, mortgage banking. So Ryan, talk to us about your challenges in your current position. Obviously, managing capital markets in today's market is not easy. So talk about your current challenges. Well, uh, certainly on the capital market side of things, and uh, but, but not unique to me, is this abrupt shift in, in mortgage rates. Once the Fed started indicating a change in their stance December of 2021 with, with regard to monetary policy, that's not to say I, I disagree with the decision they're making, because certainly we need to take an aggressive stance to tackle inflation. But going from mortgage rates in the two or three handle to the five or six handle in a three-month window has really uh, created some shock and concern about what to expect next for both mortgage professionals and their customers. That certainly breeds a, a lot of panic and frustration as uh, people are seeking some stability. Beyond that, I think it's market cycles like this that, that really highlight the, the need to always have a focus on managing your cost to produce and the ability to institute scale to help manage capacity. This rapid change in interest rates has required lenders to quickly change their focus from managing volume and production to managing margin and profitability. So the biggest challenges for capital markets industry-wide right now is being flexible and adapting quickly to the rapid increase, uh, increasing rate environment and adjusting those dials where appropriate to make sure rate sheets remain up to date, hedge models are adjusted appropriately, and the current programs, policies, and procedures that are being offered aren't creating any undue financial risk in the current rate environment. It's also making sure you're being thoughtful in what solutions you do implement to address the current state ensuring that it's not just a knee-jerk reaction to a temporary market cycle. 
And of course, all this can have a catastrophic impact on a company's margins. Uh, so I feel really good about uh, this, this segueing into our topic. Well, that's interesting what you were saying, which leads to my next question. What trends do you think mortgage managers really haven't been addressing that you think will be more important in the second half of the year? I really wish I could be confident that this answer will hold up a, a month from now, but there are so many things up in the air right now that could create another major shift at any time. Between Russia's war on Ukraine escalating, COVID waxing and waning, and all the major supply chain issues, and of course, inflation, it's hard to feel super confident predicting anything right now. But if, if I'm really confident about one thing is that the days of mortgage rates starting with a one or two is, is certainly behind us. But if, if the world stays exactly the way it is right now, and the Fed's able to hold the line, what they're currently indicating, it seems consensus is for an additional Fed rate hike uh, with a target in the two and a half to three range by the end of 2022. My best reasonable guess is that should put us with rates back in the mid fives. I would also anticipate uh, quite a bit of volatility between now and then, but hopefully with less extreme moves than, than what we've seen so far uh, this year. But again, that doesn't mean we won't see mortgage rates, you know, bouncing off the mid sixes or even the sevens before year end. But hopefully these rates will, will put some pressure on the soaring home prices. And of course, with, with much of this being demand from lack of home inventory, it's going to be real interesting to see how long it takes to, to make a meaningful change uh, to home prices. Ryan, I was just going to say, are you surprised that lenders have been caught off guard? It, it seems to me that's what I'm hearing mostly, that they were just shocked. I am surprised that anyone's caught off guard. Um, anytime we have this much stimulus being pumped into the economy, um, we have to know that that we're nearing uh, nearing an end, especially as, as people start to travel and spend again and get out. I think the industry shouldn't have been shocked and, and should have seen this coming. So, Ryan, talk about with all the changes that you see in mortgage banking, uh, talk about how do you keep current? What, what What's your day look like? So the industry is changing far too quickly to, to ever you know, say I can keep up with all the changes. But honestly, that, that's what keeps it fun and interesting. So, I mean, even with 20 plus years in the business, I still very much consider myself a student in an industry. But I do try to make an effort to, to stay up to date, contact my, my contacts regularly in the mortgage and, and technology side of the business and to make sure my information is never uh, stale. I'm constantly looking at what automation and technology tools are available, uh, even outside of our industry, since traditionally the mortgage business has been slow to implement new ideas. And then of course, I, I probably agree to far more software demos than I have time for, but I do think this helps me familiarize myself with uh, new technological options. Uh, and of course, industry conferences are a great way to keep up to date as well. Well, that's a real great segue into our, our conversation today, talking about building your own bot. And so talk to me about what it is. I guess let's start off with that for those that aren't really that familiar. So first, I want to kind of differentiate, you know, what a bot is versus just, just generally automation overall. You know, we've, there's a lot of great examples. Underwriting has, has undergone a huge transformation thanks to solutions like Decision Genius, Candor, and Flatworlds, just to name a few. And then, of course, there's there's automated quality control systems that can be implemented to compare loan documents and, and data entry into the LOS. And then, you know, some of the reporting solutions out there like Tableau or Domo, you can schedule reports to be sent out company-wide. But while all these are, are very amazing tools and provide a huge lift to companies, implementing all of these separate solutions can come at a significant cost. And there may be some limitations on how many can be rolled out based on a particular organization's budget. 
often a single software solution can address all the workflows that exist within an organization that they could benefit from. So I really want to discuss today is the, the use of this robotic process automation or RPA, which is basically using software robots or, or bots as, we, as we've been, been referring to them to perform computer-based workflows that are rule-based, definable, and repetitive. Uh, the RPA solution that we're using is application agnostic, meaning it can be used across a, any application that a human interacts with uh, within a workflow. This really opens up the use cases and allows companies to tailor automation to fit organization-specific needs. So I want to expand a little bit on what I mean by application agnostic. Many software applications have some kind of intrinsic automation tool. So some light examples are you know, macros in Excel, in Excel mail rules and Outlook, schedule store procedures in SQL, and so on. These are all great tools that, that we all use frequently, but the downside is that they're very limited to use for workflows within that specific application. With application agnostic box, you can combine all these individual application workflows into a single automated process, allowing for, for true end-to-end -end automation. So Ryan, talk about where you implemented this in your own company. In other words, obviously repetitive tasks, you address that. And what were the types of things that you wanted to look at and use a bot for? So yeah, I think that's a great question. Well, I've been using bots off and on for the past 10 years. Here at Integrity, we've, we've only been live with them since January of this year. But we currently have about eight workflows completely automated and live. Uh, and then we have, we've got some others that are in the late stage of development and in testing. What we found is that with bots, that they, they not only allow us to replace some of the manual workflows, but in some cases, it's even allowed us to create new workflows uh, that didn't previously exist because they would have required an impractical amount of time to do manually. Our organization is one example. We didn't utilize a reporting distribution system like a Tableau or Domo. So one of the things that we use the bots for to kind of kick everything off was uh, we have a number of Excel reports that are refreshed daily. They're then combined into a single PDF and then distributed to the appropriate user groups. Of course, none of this was high-level work, but it was very time-consuming for someone to open multiple Excel files, save them to Adobe, and then combine them into a P PDF and then send them out uh, via Outlook. We have a bot handling this entire process now. So this 30-minute daily process now takes about 30 seconds a day to run, and it runs on its own. And it frees up my staff to work on higher-level tasks like, you know, like programming work bots. Another great example is the automation of purchase devices, where a bot can log into the investor website and download the PA, load the PA into the LOS, scrape the data, and then enter the data accurately and consistently into the LOS. Furthermore, it can be configured to reconcile to the incoming wire mount and produce an automated report for accounting that alerts them to any conflicts between the PA and the wire mount. Of course, I mentioned before that the speed of the bots can allow you to implement solutions that would otherwise be too time consuming and labor intensive for human workers to perform. One example of this is we utilize a bot for pipeline management alerts. So we run queries daily that review each LO's pipeline and produces an individualized report for every LO and it's emailed to them each morning. Uh, it's designed to, to notify the LO of things like upcoming lock expirations, loans that have been inactive for a significant number of days that may have fallen off their radar and so on. These queries can be customized to include any type of notification to the loan officer that requires their intervention. So by co consolidating all of these notifications into a single email, it provides an efficient notification solution to the LOs. Since implementing this solution, we've noticed uh, nearly an 80% improvement to pipeline management. And even better, it takes the bot less than five minutes to send 60 or so emails before the workday even begins. 
That's really interesting. And I know when I talked to you before that you were sharing about how you did this yourself. And so talk about what was involved with who you hired to help you and and all of that. That's kind of interesting. I I had some team members on my secondary marketing in my secondary marketing group that really had a lot of interest in expanding their workflows. So they started, you know, before we even implemented any of the bots, we, we put a lot of work and effort into researching which solution was best for us. But we also, because there is such a, an upfront cost, we went ahead and mapped out a lot of these workflows before we, before we even signed the software agreement. So that way, once we, we were up and running, we were ready to go and ready to start implementing the solutions right out of the gate. So, so was it an off-the-shelf situation? Is that, in other words, you bought software that, in essence, was what you used for your bot? Yeah, absolutely. So there's there's a lot of great solutions out there. Some of the most common are UiPath, Blue Prism, Automate Anywhere. You know, those are all great solutions out there. But we ultimately settled on UiPath as as being the best fit for our, our organization. But any of these others would would work great as well. So what was, I guess, your game plan once you've got it up and running? So now you look at how many types of topics you think can be automated like that. In other words, what type of improvements do you see down the road? A lot of companies are using bots to handle their disclosures. The bot can work its way through the itemization significantly faster than a human can. So uh, additionally, being able to send out uh, their disclosures, which you know, that, that consistency and, and accuracy produces a, a much more compliant um, LE and disclosures to your customers. So, so those are other, also great use cases. And then uh, there's, there's just a, I mean, really, your creativity is one of the only things that limits you to, to what the bots can, can produce. One thing to keep in mind, though, is, is bots are not artificial intelligence. They can make if-then judgment calls if it's, if it's definable every time. But they cannot, you know, it's not machine learning and it's not AI as well. So. Was there any resistance to doing this? In other words, uh, a lot of times there can be a lot of resistance regarding any type of new technology. So what was your experience? So that's a really great question. And, and it's, I think messaging is very important. You know, obviously with human workers, you want them to really be focused on exception management and, and truly working on things that, you know, the bots can't do. So that's where we want their focus to be. And we, we really want to take away those redundant, boring processes. But when you start taking away some of that workflow, you know, there, there, there can be some, some threat that their job's going away. And really, that's not the intent of the bots. Uh, it's really to have, you know, put them in a role where they feel more intrinsic value to the organization. They are working on higher level tasks. And, and really, ultimately, we want those people to be you know, especially providing better service to those loan officers. So from your viewpoint, and since you've now been a user of them yourself over 10 years, what is your view like the next three to five years? What do you think would be the natural progression of where this would be used by mortgage companies? So I think the biggest benefit is, you know, taking really being able to tr- to truly build scale. All those solutions, I mean, those, those some of the examples we gave are, are just the tip of the iceberg. So sure. once you're you're truly automating all of the the redundant uh, tasks, and you have your your you know humans working on the the truly exception management, it's going to allow the scale to. So, so as companies grow over time, they're going to be able to exponentially grow their volume without having to grow their staff. 
So when you start thinking about an ROI, one of the one of the concerns is, well, unless I'm, you know, letting go employees or things like that, then then I'm paying for the software solution and not getting an ROI. But as you start thinking about scale and as you start thinking about, hey, I can, you know, double, maybe even triple my volume without having to grow one to one with uh, with staffing, then you really start seeing an ROI and it effectively makes you exponentially more efficient. And another great thing to think about is, is these bots can work 24 seven and they don't take bathroom breaks or smoke breaks. So it, it really allows a solution for overnight ordering of services and a lot of that overnight, overnight uh, tasks. So. so do you see any particular positions within mortgage banking that really are ripe for it? It would just seem to me like processing by definition would be something that would play into it as maybe the next step. What are your thoughts on that? We're really seeing each department having tasks. So we talked about processing, ordering services. We talked about accounting, ordering purchase devices. We've even got a use case for secondary to when, when changes on the loan file happen, that the bot can can go out and and actually make changes to the lock and update the lock and and perform those you know those uh, those tasks just just as a human would. So because uh, as I mentioned, because they can interact with multiple systems, you truly can you know, program in end-to-end program. So if, if you need to go, you know, into Encompass or your LOS and then send an email, uh, it can do all that and it can move seamlessly from between application to application. So from the start point of, you rolled it on in January, but from your start point of when you started to implement using a bot, what was the, the length of time? And I would assume it would be getting down the workflows. I would assume that was the time-consuming part. But what was the start point and end point before you were able to roll out in January? A couple of months leading up to actually signing the software agreement, mm-hmm. uh, we spent a lot of time mapping out those workflows. So, so we were a little ahead of the game when we when we actually started in January. But I would say it took us about three weeks to to get our first bot program and and implemented. Now, keep in mind, we did not have a seasoned RPA developers on staff. So my team was was really great about going and, and learning, going through the trainings on UiPath. You know, they had some light programming skills in, in college, but but really that was the extent of it. Um, so an organization that's got seasoned RPA developers or has seasoned programmers, we'll see a much faster lift. But because of that, we intentionally automated some of the easier process flows to get to let the, the team get, get accustomed to the software. And then once they had a few processes under their belt, saw what kind of errors they get, they were getting and how to clear those errors and, and create rules to clear those errors if they come up through the process. That's when we started seeing a huge lift in this. And then of course, once they start honing those skill sets, then it, then it kind of takes off and they're, they're building far more complex workflows throughout the, uh, throughout the day. So would it be fair to say that if you can do a macro in Excel, then you could do a bot? It's a little more complex than that, sure. but but yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I think that would be a really good place to to start for sure. And sure. once you kind of understand that 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 workflow analysis, that's a that's a big part of it. So sure. Uh, well, the time has flown by. We only have a few minutes left. Why don't you share a couple takeaways that you've learned from implementing uh, a bot in your own company? I think this is a really really exciting solution. Again, for for addressing the the boring day to day tasks. I think it really helps ultimately with uh, workplace and satisfaction uh, as you start taking those those um, uh, those boring and redundant tasks away from the employees. And one other takeaway I think I'd like to mention is companies do run the risk of uh, creating an over reliance on automation and, and bots as well. So I would recommend 
making sure people are cross-trained because what could happen over time is the bots are performing so many tasks that, that you don't have anyone on staff that can perform those tasks if, if, if there was a software update or for some reason that task were to fail to run. You'd want to have a backup plan in place. But, uh, but other than that, uh, it's a really exciting solution. Software and technology is coming a long way and it's having a, a real meaningful impact on our industry. And we're going to see the, the cost to produce coming down. Uh, we know after Dodd-Frank, you know, compliance really caused cost to produce for companies to increase exponentially. And this is going to be one way where we can, we can kind of take cost to produce the, the other way. Thanks, Ryan, for sharing your wisdom. And thanks, everyone, for listening. I certainly appreciate you spending time with us today. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. You were terrific. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We appreciate you spending time with us. If your sales team needs training in hiring and lead generation, schedule a free consultation by emailing me at psherlock at qfsconsulting.com.